Podcast 028, review of Fresh, the movie. Sponsored by my buddies at PantryParatus.com. They sell food preservation tools. Produce, prepare, preserve your own harvest. All right, we just finished watching Fresh, the movie. Yep. And... um, I think the movie was well done and all, but I was bored stupid. <laughs> well. This is what, like probably the fifth movie we've seen like this? Yeah, there, there's been a lot of them. Um, I thought it was basically a reinvention of Food Incorporated. A little bit. It, it's, it seemed a lot like Food Incorporated to me, except with... Examples of sustainable growing, not just all the examples of the conventional unsustainable food production. Well, um, you know, I can't even remember what food incorporated and how it's different. I mean, it's been such a blur of all these different shows with basically the same kind of message and stuff like that. I'm, I'm sure this one's right up there with food incorporated is good. I mean, I think they had a lot of the same players. Michael Pollan showed up again. Joel Salton showed up again. Mm-hmm. And um, Pro- so, Professor John Eichard, who is in Broken Limbs, right? Know. So we've seen a lot of familiar faces here. Mm-hmm. The message was, like, identical. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, you know, I'm watching this movie, and I'm thinking we're going to be making a podcast about this later. And I'm, and I'm kind of thinking to myself, you know, this isn't really the kind of message I want to convey or or talk about really um i mean i think i think that there's a lot of really good information that that's in this movie that I'll, I'll, that 90% of the population does not yet know maybe even more than 90% they don't know what's in this and it and it is critically important to know but I kind of feel like, you know, I was past this 10 years ago. And and um, and then they do the thing where it's like, you know, Pollen gets in there and Pollen's got it down. I like the way Pollen's probably, he's probably said this stuff so many times that he's gotten to the point where he can convey a chapter in his book in under 15 seconds. Right. You know, the way he says it is just clear and crisp and it's like, you know, for the last time, will you just record it and, <laughs> you know, stop sending people by my house to to, to record yet another movie with uh, me in it? I disagree. I think he enjoys the attention and he loves his sound bites. He's got the He's sound got, bites yeah. that he likes. Damn good sound bites. Damn. They are. So, But I like the one that he did in the other movie that we saw where he said, vote with your fork. I think that's... That's really what it all, that was the vanishing of the bees show. Right. Um, And in here they kept saying vote with your dollars. And um, there were lots of, you know, inspiring examples about why to grow sustainably. But but most of the people at Permies, your listeners, your followers, don't need that. So I can see why you're struggling trying to figure out what to pluck out of this movie to talk about right I, I i mean like once again here we've got another movie where they're like saying monoculture is bad and then it's like now let's go look at all the people that are doing good 
What do we got here? You know, okay, well, it was the exception of Salatin, but there was a lot of stuff where it's kind of like, well, that's kind of monoculture there. Now, now for all the ones, I mean, there was there was like there was a couple of good ones. So I like the thing that the guy said about how he used to raise pigs conventionally, and now he switched over to something natural, and he saved something like seventeen thousand dollars. Fourteen thousand in the first year he saved by not buying all the medications and chemicals for the pigs. Fourteen thousand right. in one year he saved. And he almost died from an infection, and nothing would kill the infection because all the because they're given the the his hogs are getting like all these little microdoses of all this stuff already. Antibiotics. Yeah, it was. I I did think that was compelling. So the that Boar's tusk impaled his kneecap, and he had an antibiotic-resistant strain of strep, and he almost died. And uh, so he he went back and exterminated his whole herd and started over. And and now uh, he's been doing it 14 years with no antibiotics, and he's raising them out in pasture-raised pigs, and they're healthy, they don't get sick, he doesn't need the antibiotics. So effectively, that guy is now raising his hogs on a polyculture, like Salatin does. And Salatin did his bit where he's out in his pasture and he's grabbing a, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and, he, and so he's got like a, a dozen different species of, of uh, vegetation. And then he talks about how you know he'll have like you know five different animals crossing, five different kinds of animals crossing this pasture, and and uh, in different times of the season, and, and how his neighbor's getting, um, you know, $500 an acre, and he's getting $3,000 an acre or something. Right. I can't and, remember the numbers. And not just the animals, but he's he's growing the grass and putting the animals across it, and then he's getting hay part of the year off of it, and he's he's just really stacking functions. Right, right. So that's very polyculture. I wish that they would use the word polyculture and point at it and say polyculture. I think that's the. I I would have liked it better if they'd have done that. I'd I'd uh, I'd like it if they could get a lot more of talking about polyculture in a the movie. Then it would have a lot more value to me. Um, and the kinds of the kinds of messages that I'm trying to convey. Right. Um, instead of uh, you know monoculture is bad. I mean, when they, they look at the they look at that fellow that's got the three acres, and granted, that guy is doing an amazing job of of producing. Uh, I, oh, I, read he's once, the... I think he wa- I once read he produced like a million pounds of food off of that three acres. He's Will Allen with Growing Power, and um, he's he's taking in like a million pounds of food waste and creating compost out of it, and he's doing aquaponics and and uh, greens and food in his greenhouses and yeah he's growing amazing so he had a lot there. of potted stuff and it was like it looked like all the same stuff in those pots so it's it, I don't know so it's it's he had some uh, monoculture stuff going on he did and and um, you know I think that he's doing a lot of smart stuff and and uh, but it does seem like it's more labor intensive than the stuff I care to typically see uh-huh. but He's urban, and and so it's impressive that he's pulling it off in town, and he's doing so much food and and all this stuff, and and he must be economically viable, or else he wouldn't be in business. So um, you know, tip of the hat and all that, but 
I still like the idea of seeing these folks. I mean, of course, Salton's got his story, and I and I like the idea of of saying, you know, uh, uh, pointing out pointing out folks like that that are making good money doing that kind of thing. Um, well, the other good, uh, sorry. I'd like to see Salton do more. Uh-huh. I'd like to see Salton do things more my way, <laughs> uh, or or more accurately, more Sep's way. I'd like to see more trees out there on that land. Um, uh, I'd like to see m- more diversity. Now, he was taking great pride. He said something like, uh, for 50 years, they haven't brought in a single seed or a single bit of fertilizer. And uh, while that's really impressive, uh, I'd still like to see uh, him somehow end up with some diversity. Does he have a garden? Surely he must have a garden. I don't know. They didn't go into that. Um, but I do think when you're talking about people making money and, and farm income, uh, I thought the comparison, they, they, they kind of did a juxtaposition between the conventional chicken factory farmers and this natural pig farmer and how they had a co-op to process the meat. So now the people raising the chickens in the really awful factory farmed way, they couldn't get anybody to harvest those chickens to work the chicken harvest. They, they well, not that they couldn't get anybody. They were no. running short. They, they were getting um, trustees from the prison. Right. And nobody local would work it. It stunk. It didn't pay well. They were stuck by the chicken processing company. They had to do a seven-year contract with them. They were. They felt like their hands were tied. They could only do so much. And then here, this natural pig farmer, they created a co-op between all these natural pig farmers and set up a co-op processing plant. And he said they were able to employ people full-time with benefits at almost double the rate of a lot of other jobs. And they had a huge stack of people wanting to work there because it was such a great place to work. And the, you know, and it didn't stink. It wasn't icky. You right. Know. Uh, it was just a huge, hugely different um, uh, livestock processing model. I thought. Right. Right. Big step in the in the right direction. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and and. Um, there was the guy that was saying that, that the numbers are in about the uh, 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 big ag does not feed the world as well as medium-sized farms. Was it medium-sized organic? I can't medium-sized organic, he said, did better. Yeah, he was from a national organics or... Uh, like produced more food per acre, and it's like proof. Utter complete, like the numbers are there, kind of thing. Yeah. And and I thought that was interesting. He had a bunch of other things to say, but um, it all kind of started sounding like you know blah 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 blah. Well, yeah, it sounded like it was backing up, or or a little bit of the natural pig farmer saying, "Wow, he saved fourteen thousand dollars going natural," you know. Right. Um. Uh. And then, yeah. The other, I I kind of like the different models. You know, this Professor Eichard was saying, you know, he he's an agricultural economist, and he was saying, you know, we've got to shift our models. Big agriculture is not sustainable. It's not sustainable economically. It's not sustainable environmentally. 
you know, we've got to shift our models. And he likened it to, oh, we never had grocery stores before. And that was a huge change in my lifetime. He said in the next 50 years, I can see other changes happening uh, similar to that, but with how we grow and buy our food. And I thought they kind of presented an example of that with that good-natured family farms co-op in Kansas City. And that was 75 farmers came together so they could sell to grocery stores. And they found a small private grocery store that would that said he'd buy everything they produce. And so all his signs through the store were, it's local, buy local, and family farms. And they were highlighting all the family farms where all this stuff came through. And the cow with that farms co-op was saying, well, really what we're doing is we're providing uh, diversity. So these, and she used different terms than that, so these people can compete with the Walmart. If you think about it, if you're, you know, if all of a sudden Walmart's going to come in and wipe out your little, you know, independent grocery store, if you're unique enough, if you're specialized enough, or you have such better, fresher, uh, you know, food, food that tastes better, food that's fresher, it's more nutritious um, because it hasn't been sitting in a warehouse you know, all of those kind of things, you might be able to compete because you're different. Well, I, I kind of got the impression that it's like they're going to try and out-Walmart Walmart, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah. uh, you know, it's not always just about the price either. And and it's like, you know, yeah, if, this, if, if you go to Walmart and you get apples for a dollar a pound and then you go over to this outfit and, and the apples are also a dollar a pound, only they're organic and they taste better. And it's like, you know, you're getting them right after they were harvested or something like that. Then it's like, wow, who who gets the, which which store gets the business? Right. You know, so they're, they're holding their own with Walmart. And, I, and, you know, the way that they can do it is by cutting out the 27 different middlemen that are all in there within the Walmart package. Right. You know, and so, and, and then Walmart, uh, now we once saw another movie where it showed Walmart was going to get interested in buying local. And organic. They've been doing more organic and wanting to do more local. Though, I, I don't know if they're buying, if those stores are buying more direct local or whether they still go through a wholesaler or a warehouse or things like that. So, yeah, I don't know. Well, I like the idea that, uh, and, and you know, I was, I was visiting with somebody about um, selling produce to uh, the Good Food Store, and there's only one store in Missoula. You know, it's the Good Food Store is not a chain. There's only one of them, and uh, and they're the main. Uh, they're like a Whole Foods, but here in Missoula, um, there is no Whole Foods. There, there, there's like other grocery stores like Safeway and Albertsons and whatnot. And then there's the good food store. So um, uh, someone was saying something like, "Well, if in order to be able to sell to them, you got to have a certain amount of food, and on top of that, you got to carry like uh, certain kinds of insurance and stuff." And it was sounding like, uh, you know, man, what a hassle! What a what a you know bunch of. And the thing was, it's like, okay, like let's say somebody gets sick on a piece of food, 
then they want to push the buck off to you or something like that. So now it's all like, oh, it's all because of the lawyers or whatever. But I could also see like somebody like the whole because I I think that the thing to do is like we went okay we went to the farmers market today and looked around and uh, I you know we saw a lot of people standing behind their produce or whatever. Um, I mean hundreds of people. And there didn't need to be that many people, so obviously this system is really inefficient. So, um, and and so as you, so there's there's that, and I'm and I'm kind of thinking, you know, you know what I'd really like to do is I'd like to be able to find a place at the farmers market that might be the size of six booths, and it'll be called Bob's. This is Bob stuff. But the thing is, is that you've learned that Bob is the pickiest bastard about food. He's got standards that are higher than yours. And because when you go to all these different places, like you were looking for bok choy that was organic. Right. And I noticed that we came away from the farmer's market and you did not have any bok choy. Right. So you didn't find any that was organic. But, I mean, like, it's possible that there was somebody there that was growing bok choy and they just didn't bother with the organic label, but their stuff was actually better. It's possible. I didn't talk to the farmers. We were we were busy visiting with a friend, and we were doing multiple different things. So I didn't talk to the farmers. That would right. have been the thing to do. So, uh, how many farmers there do you suppose carried bok choy today? There were a lot. Pick a number. Twenty. Mm, twenty. Yeah, I 20. was going to guess twenty. So you'd have to go and have twenty different conversations with twenty human beings where each human being is going to have a totally different personality and uh, the conversation could be a minute or the conversation could be 45 minutes and, um, and, and for you to try and get the information that you're looking for. And so by the time that you have visited with all 20, the place would have been closed and you wouldn't have been able to get any bok choy. It's interesting to me to hear you criticize the market that you think is so amazing. Oh no, it's an amazing, awesome market. Yeah, it's the yeah. best there is, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My, I may, I'm coming up with a different point here. Right. I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. I know. And and so my thinking is, is it's like uh, most people aren't going to ask the right questions. They're not going to. They're just going to show up and and it's like, well, that one looks fine. We'll just get that one. And it's like probably grown in a monocrop, which is just the thing. The movie here was just telling us, ooh, monocrop is bad. And I agree, it's bad. But it's kind of like uh, um, most of them aren't going to be at all familiar with the concept of polyculture. Um, and then a lot of them are going to be like, I mean, how do you tell the ones that are really organic from the ones that are, are kind of like, uh, they're, they're totally conventional, but they're going to say, oh, you know, it's organic, It's uh, but we just don't use the label. We don't... Uh, you know, what right. What do I need to tell you so I can get the money from you? Right. right. Yeah. So it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, whereas on the other hand, if you had a guy at the market, you know, this the concept of Bob's, and he knows. And basically this is kind of like what I, what I want from a grocery store. Because like right now Whole Foods does have some standards. The good food store does have some standards. And and um, you know, so they're kind of like Bob, and they're 
kind of making sure the products meet their standards. Right, but I want the good I want the good food store to work something out so they can carry more local stuff that's down there. You know, there's a bunch of stuff being offered at the farmers market. Surely, some of that could meet the good food store standards, and and I can go down to the good food store and buy it. I mean, you know, uh, uh, and I'd like to see the farmer be able to go to the farmer's market, try and sell some stuff for $3 a pound. I was like, well, it didn't sell. So I want to go down to a good food store. I want to sell it to them for a dollar and a half a pound, my leftovers. And uh, the good food store will turn around and sell it for $3 a pound. You know, good for them. Uh, and and then, uh, um, so then the farmer wins, the good food store wins, but of course, you know, the good food store, the guy's going to show up and he's got like, okay, I've got like uh, 20 pounds of this, 40 pounds of that. I've got like, you know, this this small, you know, I've got like half a pickup truck load of stuff. Right. And they're going to be like, dude, you're too small. We don't want to mess with you. It's just like, you know, we, 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 we're, we're not going to screw with it. Well, here's an idea. Instead of, um, well, in Maine, they now have some food sovereignty laws that allow real small producers to sell their food or their value-added items easier. I don't know the ins and outs of it. I haven't really studied it, but I think it's an excellent example. And in this fresh, the movie, they had the former um, president of the National Family Farm Association, or whatever it was called, he is more of a conventional farmer. He was talking about all the corn and soybean subsidies and, I mean, what if instead of subsidizing corn and soybean, we uh, provided protection for small fa- farmers, you know, t- or, or some some kind of legal insurance, whatever, benefit so that they could sell to the good food store or things like oh, that. Oh, there you go. I, I, oh, that's a, you know, boy, that, you, you, you really struck something there. And so the moment you said that, it like popped a thousand ideas into my head. And it's kind of like, because there are, there are funds that are being used for sustainable this and sustainable that, and there's all these little grants and stuff like that. And, and it's kind of like, you know, what would be great is like, because um, you're right, there's this whole corn subsidy thing. How about if we take a, like 10% of that away from Cargill and the like and instead say, um, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read Joel Salton's book, How Everything I Want to Do is Illegal, and we're going we're gonna to undo that. We're going to make it so that small farmers uh, can do the small farmer thing, and we're going we're gonna to take all these laws, which are really designed for Cargill and the like and for these big corporations, and we're going we're gonna to bump up, a, we're going to set up a minimum. Like these laws don't apply to you unless, you're moving this much stuff because because you start moving that much stuff and you screw something up, you're gonna you can poison 20 million people. Whereas a farmer, a small farmer, a little tiny farmer, he screws something up, he's gonna poison 300 people. 300 is a lot smaller than 20 million. Well, and another point that this film was trying to drive home too is is if you're if you're raising things in more of a, a, a sustainable way, more of a, you know, chickens follow the cows or pasture raised or small farm ecosystem where you've got the manures and the crops and the, 
you know, you're less likely to poison anybody anyway. You know, your animals aren't going to aren't as likely to get sick, you know. So I think it would be really cool if the insurance companies figure this stuff out and then the insurance is far cheaper for the sustainably raised stuff than it is for the conventionally stuff. And I don't know, maybe it already is, but it would be lovely if they get that figured out. Or, yeah, like you're saying, let's, let's subsidize that insurance or let's, yep. let's do what it takes in order to be able to, to grease the skids on this and make yep. it make it a little bit easier mm-hmm. for to, to have these kinds of relationships. So um, and and so that kind of stuff. But I I also think like uh, uh, let's I mean I want to go back to something that I've brought up uh, several times in the podcast is is that I think that rather than having an organic system that's boolean and that's another thing too organic like right now uh, in order to be organic so many of these small farmers have to pay a premium right to have their stuff listed as organic. So, um, you know, and I know that there's a minimum level for that, and I don't know what it is right now, mostly because I've always dodged it. We talked to that guy selling uh, buffalo jerky at the market today, and he said uh, in order to be certified organic, it would cost him $80 a buffalo to be certified organic. And I had a conversation with another farmer in my area who switched to the less expensive certified naturally grown um, certification, but he still didn't want to put the money into that because it didn't really give him any marketing leverage at all. So he doesn't certify organic and he doesn't do certified naturally grown either. He just, people talk to him to find out how he raises his meat. Right, people talk to him to find out how he raises, but it's like most people who talk to him probably have no idea what questions to even ask. Mm-hmm. You know, and and because uh, I've met some people that are like, oh, I do everything beyond organic, and then I go and I dig into their stuff. No, they don't. <laughs> they don't. They don't get it. Yeah. You know, and and it's kind of like, oh, I don't need that label because I'm so beyond organic. No, uh. And so um, I I I think that it would be good. I mean, I would like, and so this is where we come back to the thing where I think having um, a number. Where where somebody who's like Bob, we were just talking about our fictitious person, Bob, where Bob can rate something. And Bob can come in and he can say, okay, if organic is a 10, I christen you 7.8. You know, so you're doing pretty good, but yeah, I wouldn't call it, you know, a 10. And then uh, these other guys over here, uh, I want to call you 14.9. You guys are awesome. That's some real polyculture there. That's great stuff. So um, things things yeah. like that. Uh, I I think that that's going to because then the thing is is that somebody could say, well, currently I'm you know doing conventional and I'm I'm uh, I, I'm I'm currently at uh, a 1.7, but um, you know what I want I want to try and get up to a three. I'm not going to go all the way to organic. But if I get to a three, I think I'm going to get a better market. I'm going to, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. But that was one of the things the guy was saying in this movie is it's like a lot of people in the conventional ag world are kind of trapped. Yeah. You know, it's like they've they've already invested heavily in the conventional ag stuff. They, you know, they really can't get out. Yeah. He, he said they basically had to use chemicals to survive. He He was interesting in how he said – 
he knew it was bad for the environment. He knew it was bad for him. He knew it was uh, bad for the plants, and 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 yet he didn't see any other way to do it. He tried not to spray the pesticides and herbicides, but he said, you know, I didn't spray yet last year, and he said I probably should have just to be able to, you know, break even kind of or make some money. Make more, yeah. And yeah, he would have come out dollars ahead, he felt, if he had. If he had sprayed, but he tries not to spray every year because he knows it's so bad. But he just, when they've got these huge, huge fields, uh, you know, this was I. Iowa, it was corn and soybeans. Right. You, you know, there's they, they just don't have another model of how to grow that much corn and soybean. And then pollen pops in and says 70% of that is for uh, beef. Or was, right. no, that was salatin. Was it pollen or salatin? No, it was pollen, I think. It was pollen. Said 70% of that is being grown for the beef we produce and that if we, you know, stop doing that and change it over to grasslands would be a whole different, um, much more sustainable practice. All right, so uh, a few different quick notes. One was the thing where they're, 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 uh, they're showing that chicken house, oh. and they're receiving the chicks in these big crates, and they are throwing the chicks onto the ground. And I'm thinking, you know, surely it's got to hurt some of them, but I guess they're all right, but it doesn't ah. seem respectful at all. Oh, that was horrific. That was hard to watch. It was, they had these huge boxes of the chicks, and the boxes were stacked upon boxes, and and they were on wheels, and so they'd just wheel these down in there, and then they'd take one of the boxes, it was like a tray of chicks, and from adult chest height, they'd just turn these, they didn't just turn them upside down, they through them. It was like they took the flat of chickens and just wham, like they were slapping this whole tray of chicks on the ground. It was really awful. Yeah, it, it looked bad. It, it looked awful. real bad. Now, uh, I, I, I had this thought yesterday, which I thought was a funny thought. This has nothing to do with the movie, but as I was watching the movie, I remembered the funny thought, and I wrote it down on our little pad of paper here. So now I'm going to share my funny thought. Oh no! And so my well, it's not that bad, <laughs> you know. It's just, I I had a really bad funny thought earlier, so I'm projecting. My funny thought comes first because I started first. Okay, so uh, of course we've talked in the podcast before about a cow actually uh, drinks grass beer all day, and so that's the whole thing about chewing the cud. You, you go out there and you get the grass, you got the four stomachs. You basically the cow is making beer. And what comes out the back end is the beer dregs, which makes an awesome pig food. All right. So, it's a, so the, the thing that occurred to me is if you think about it, if you look at a cow, the expression on their face as they're chewing their cud and whatnot looks like some guy at a bar who's had a few too many beers. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of like what would happen if cows like somehow got food that was a non-alcoholic beverage? What would they would they suddenly like you know sober up and uh, you know start uh, you know inventing cars or something? <laughs> I don't know. I so it was just a thought. They do kind of look like somebody who's been at the at the bar all day. This expression on their face is kind of like they're kind of they got a good buzz going, you know. That's placid. They, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
just a thought. Okay. And, and I'm now not going to touch it. that. <laughs> has nothing to do with the movie, but I shared it. I wrote right. it down. That's my yeah. notes. I got oh, some. Okay. So I'm looking at the uh, the other. Oh, the Paul. I wrote down pollen in defense of food. So so basically, what Paul I'm saying during the movie is is the stuff that's in his book in defense of food. But they they should have given him. You know, they should have named off some titles. They just said, you know, pollen author. You know, that's all it right. said. And uh, it's like, come on, plug the guy's book, for crying out loud. Uh, he's being in your movie and all hell. So, um, I, you know, here they were inter- interviewing this couple of the chicken factory farm, and, and they were, you know, sitting on the couch with their poodles or whatever. And I just thought, wow, do they know what kind of movie they're going to end up in? I... I I just I thought that was kind of interesting. And I then, thought it was good, and it doesn't matter what kind of movie they, that they might end up in. I mean, basically, I thought the movie treated them appropriately, respectfully. I mean, the movie showed the truth. It's not like they did some sort of sneak in there and right. like you know, and then no. these guys are so evil. They no. didn't do anything like that. I mean, this is the way that they are, and and I felt like the movie is for them in a lot of ways. I mean, okay. you know, because basically what that woman is saying is like, we're fucked. <laughs> you know, we, we had to sign a contract for seven years. Well, and, and, and in the other movies that have had the w- people raising the chickens and stuff, you, you, you kind of get the impression that it's like, if anything goes wrong, it's, it's the person raising the chickens that eats it. The, the company is totally safe. Everybody yeah. else involved is totally safe in every way. It's a really bizarre business structure, and it did explain that a little bit, where the the company owns and controls the chickens and the workers. They have to provide the factory housing and the electricity and the water, and they're, they're stuck, you know, the, the company that, you know, decide, determines the chickens and all of this and the feed and all of that kind of stuff. They um, they don't give them much choice. They determine the price. They determine a lot. It just right. sounds like anything goes wrong. Weird. You yeah. eat it. Yeah. You know, and if if it, you know wherever level, basically they got their fall guy all set up. Yeah. And and now the company can make all the money that they want. And, yeah. And if those guys can't afford health insurance, that's their own damn problem. And, uh, you know... Oh, speaking of, remember when they showed the bag of the chicken litter? They had bags of chicken litter, you know, like cat litter or whatever, the stuff you put on the ground at the chicken factory. Yeah, yeah. And and they zoomed in on the label and it said, you know... Don't be touching this. Yeah, it said don't <laughs> let it get in your eyes, don't inhale it, don't, you know, da-da-da-da-da. It was, don't be standing around on it all day. Right. Don't, don't be, you know... And uh, yeah, and, and that's what like we the, grow our food that, on. And, and the chickens, what are they going to do? They're going to be standing around on it all day, breathing it yeah, in all day. Yeah. So no, you're right. It's it's messed up. Yeah. But you know, again, uh, um, I I like the idea that we watch the movie, we review the movie, we talk about permaculture stuff. But you know, this is like this is you know so I, I like to go over the scale of like um, you've got conventional. Then you go up a bit and you got organic, and you go up a bit and you got sustainable, and you go up a bit and you got biodynamic and per- permaculture. And uh, and frankly, if if zero is um, uh, conventional and one 
is organic, I kind of think of permaculture as 10, you know, and sustainable is probably somewhere around four, you know. And so, um, uh, so this stuff leaves us in this conversation space between zero and one and two, somewhere around in there, and I kind of feel right. like, no, 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 I want to talk about 10. I want to talk about 10. Right. This is stuff I'm like, I'm tired of looking at it. I'm tired of talking about it. I'm tired of thinking about it. I'm tired. I mean, it's like, you know what? I gotta, we got to move forward, and I, you know, let's talk about 8, 9, and 10. Right. Well, and it, it begs the question of, uh, well, you know, where are the movies about 8, 9, and 10? There's the Sepp Holzer movies, which I know you think are up there. Maybe we should and, review those. And, well, and then Again. We, yeah. We watched Jeff Lawton's Soils movie earlier, and and that right. that didn't quite seem up as high as you had hoped it would be. Right, right, but it had some elements of it. Right, and maybe the right. other one. We've got one more over there. Maybe uh, we'll, we can take a look at that one sometime. Right. Well, and what I'm struggling with is is um, for the you know John Q public. I mean, are the people that really need to see this movie going to see this movie or is this going is this movie going to just be preaching to the choir you know are the people going to watch this that already are trying to buy sustainably raised food they already are trying to buy local they're trying to buy organic instead of conventional you know is that is that who's going to watch it or is would this movie happen to convince someone to buy more organic or buy more, you know, shift their buying habits? I don't know. I, you know, I do think that it's, uh, you know, when we talk about eco stuff, yeah. that um, one of the things that, I, that, that I've gone on and on about and I, I still believe in is that we can make a much bigger difference. Because, like, when you look at the wheat and eco scale, where, um, you know, you've got most of the population – um, you know, you've got 5 billion people at eco-level 0, 1 billion at eco-level 1, 100 million at eco-level 2. By persuading the people at level 0 to move to level 1, you're making um, an impact that is probably about 20 times greater than, um, you know, persuading everybody else to move up 1. You know, so... So that's where this movie could be hugely valuable, is exactly. what you're saying. This could be okay. of greater value than all of my my gobbledygook about, you know, the perma, permaculture stuff, that, you know, the more advanced stuff. Um, although it bores me, and I'm glad to see it being taken care of. And um, uh, I, I just... Uh, um, yeah, we've got a bunch of them out now. Surely folks ought to be seeing more of this nowadays um you know how do you get it in front of them i don't know and and it does seem odd i mean it, it does seem kind of bizarre to me i mean that that conventional ag stuff is still being sold you know um it still it seems odd to me that you know it seems odd i learned the other day oil is subsidized i didn't know that Right. Oil is I mean, I knew corn was subsidized and soybeans subsidized, and all this stuff is subsidized. That's kind of like, yeah. That's that's 
you're subsidizing stuff oil. that should not be subsidized. Why yeah. are you subsidizing? And of course, they've got some weird reason that doesn't make a lick of sense to me. Right. And um, but it's kind of like, yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I think that uh, we need to start with withdrawing some of those subsidies. All right. What else we got? I mean, look at all these notes you wrote. You've you've just filled this thing out. Oh, we talked about everything I wrote down. Um, I it like you said, you know, I I would like to figure out how to get this information in front of more people. Uh, maybe by having so many varieties of movies like this that you know someone will decide to watch one of them over the other. You know, because we have this plethora of choice. And and maybe that will help. Um, yeah, and and I just think we still have so much conventional food because as as this guy in this movie was talking about, they don't know another way to do it. And I think it will take um, gradual shifts and more and more Joel Salatins and Michael Pollins and this Russ Kramer, the pig farmer, and these good-natured family food co-ops. I think it will just take more and more examples like that to start shifting the paradigm. And and I'm excited for that. I think things are going to shift. I like to think things are going to shift in some ways we don't even know they'll shift yet. Well, you know, another thing to think about is that if we talk, because earlier I was talking about how conventional is at level zero, organic is at level one, and permaculture is at level ten. So... Maybe the thing to do is maybe maybe it falls to you and I to talk about levels eight, nine, and ten more. Because um, if we spend a lot of time talking about level one and level two, which is you know what this movie's kind of talking about, then um, uh, you know people are people are kind of inching in that direction. But if if we could talk about eight, nine, and ten more then it's kind of like I think that there can be moving to level one or two is easier because, you know, you can kind of see that that's not the destination. That's the path. That's on that's on the road. And so we could talk more about Anyway, so I, I guess what I'm saying is, is I, I like the idea because we heard about, we heard from Pollen, we heard from uh, uh, that guy that was uh, the, the, the government guy, and and uh, you know and they're talking about this stuff, and you could kind of get the feeling that they probably spend 98% of their life talking about levels one and two, and advocating levels one and two. But imagine what what you know if if they were if they came into the show and they and during the show they talked about polyculture and examples of polyculture and um, you know that kind of thing. I think that the whole movie would have had a a much better destination. We might actually see them advocating some polyculture as opposed to just talking about this mythical thing, polyculture. They they did, I mean, and then plus, you know, when Salatin's out there doing that, the like whoever made the movie must not have known to say, and, you know, or, or the, maybe the, maybe Salatin said, this is polyculture, this is it, this is what we're, when we say stop doing monoculture, what we mean is do this. And and then the movie people were like, I don't know, they didn't they didn't give a damn, so they edited it out. Or or maybe Salatin never said that. If I was making the movie, I would be sitting there saying, okay, Salatin, here's what I want you to do: say the word polyculture over and over. <laughs> <laughs> Let's sell it. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because in in 
I've heard of examples where people have avoided using the term permaculture, and I tried to bring up the word polyculture with the local food co-op that's being developed in my neck of the woods, and it people were like, what? And nobody would even respond to the term <laughs> polyculture. Really. In fact, yeah, the, the, main gal, the main guy wrote it down to go home and look it up after this. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It, there you go. You're making a difference by using that word. Well, well, I'm I'm thinking of a lot of different things as you're talking because yes, it'd be nice to focus on the goal, you know, have your eyes on the prize and kind of expand on that some more so it's it's more understood, it's more in the in the mainstream consciousness. And on the other hand, you know, you presented that great example of bringing people from level 0 to level 1, and if you throw out all these complicated terms or terms that throw people off, or make them think, oh, that's a bunch of weird hippies, you yeah. know, that could put them off more than bring them along. And then I keep thinking about the permies.com users, your podcast listeners, some of the listeners that have um, joined in from um, Jack Spirico's The Survival Podcast, things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think they're at all different levels. And some are way up there to where they're... they're they may not even choose to listen to this podcast because it's about a movie that they're not interested in. Right. And yet there's others that say, where do I start, you know? And, and, and I think the more conversations and the more examples, I think in that sense, it's not so bad to kind of show a little bit of the 8, 9, 10 and the 0 to 1. And yet, even for them, I'm thinking, okay, how simple can we make it? You know, where do you start? What do you do? And there's still a lot of ways that I know I'm not living in the 8, 9, 10 realm. And I know there's some ways um, that all of us can always make some improvements. Um, And and so I'd like to be realistic about that, too, in what we talk about. Well, yeah, and it it is so terribly complicated. And it, 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 it does come back to that thing about each individual situation and, like, what are the materials that you have to work with? Because we've got people who say, how can I do this? But I live in a condo, so it's got to be able to be something I can do in a condo. Or uh-huh. how can I do this? But I live in an apartment on the fifth floor, and I don't even have a balcony. You know, and it's kind of like, uh, and then we get other people who are like, how can I do this? I have half an acre, or I have, I have 4,000 acres of desert <laughs> what do i do right. or uh, you know something there's always it's so it's, it's difficult to have one oh, yeah. answer for everybody to try and make yeah. it simple right um and so uh polyculture i mean really it's a big part of it hugo culture you know in fact hugo culture and polyculture are pretty universal they're going mm-hmm. to work rather universally Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, uh, mix up your seeds and have you know edge create edge. We've talked about edge before. So, getting started, yeah, um, great questions. And and but you know the other thing is is that I have a hard time under, understanding like what why do people want to listen to my podcast? <laughs> It, it seems like so much of this is something that seems so clear and obvious to me. 
and people seem really keen on inter- listening to my podcast, and I kind of feel like, you know, when I go around and I talk to these other permaculture people, then we all know about polyculture, we all know about hookah culture, we all know about, you know, a, a lot of these different things, and we will discuss some of the finer points. You know, Kelda's always trying to tell me about how I'm, I'm saying the wrong thing about, you know, she wa- she thinks there should be, like when I, 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 I uh, uh, say stuff about the, the water barrels, like I, I'm not a big fan of the water barrels, and she thinks that I shouldn't say that, that uh, because of whatever, I've become this voice of authority, and people will, go, people will listen to me, and I shouldn't say that. And so I keep telling her, I'm going to say that because I still believe it. And so, uh, <clears throat> so take that, Calda. Get your own damn podcast. She might. She might. She should. She should do it. She's got her. She's got her 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 own thing on it that probably interests far more people, you know, because she she's big into the social justice thing, which which I totally avoid, and um and I'm I'll bet you that there's ten times more people interested in the social justice stuff, and so she can she can make her podcast and do that whole thing and have a much bigger audience than me who's, you know, the money-grubbing, permaculture, obnoxious guy. Mm. You know. you, you're but, almost sounding humble with some of what you said there. Uh, no, and that is, no, uh, not that. Okay. <laughs> not, not that. Not that. So I, I don't really understand how it is that people want to listen to this stuff at all anyway, but uh, people keep telling me that they're drinking it up and eating it up and they love every minute of it. And Okay, so I guess there's a big void of this information. So, how do they get started? Well, it seems easy to me. <laughs> well, and and we've been covering some questions besides re- reviewing the movies, and we'll move on to the other Jeff Lawton movie uh, amid other podcasts. But uh, we have been answering questions from the Tinkering Forum out at permies.com. There's a thread on there about podcast topics. So, uh, if people yeah. want to expand on more things. Uh, someone asked about books that, you know, you mentioned that right. you spent uh, a year and read... A summer. A, a summer. A I hundred. read a hundred gardening books one summer. Yeah, yeah. So it's that kind of thing people want to pick your brain about as well. And, not, and, and you know, I'm thinking this movie review may not have been that great for some of your listeners, or, or it could have been just great to feel a kindred spirit about, well, yeah, you know, I want more movies about the 8, 9, 10 or more information about the 8, 9, 10 too. Who knows? I I think, you know, you kind of touched on it earlier. One of the things we got to do is is uh, uh, we should make a podcast review of Sepp Holzer's movies. Hmm. I mean, I've seen, I mean, like those, those three movies, I've probably seen those over 35 times each now. Because you keep showing them, I, I show them to gobs of people all the time, <clears throat> and and as part of a presentation that I do and stuff like that, and and so maybe that would be a a, a good one to do. And I've done some Q and A with them, and um, I did. Uh, what did when did the well anyway? I've got I've got the footage. Of, I was going to make it a podcast. I should still do that, but it was the Q and A part. And, I, and I've got a bunch of the Q&A up as YouTube videos where the uh, uh, MCAT came and MCAT made a video, the Missoula Community Access Television, and then they gave me a DVD and they said, here, 
You own this. This is your property. You can do anything you want to with this. And so it's like, okay. <laughs> so I should probably take that and uh, and and make make podcasts from the Q and A sections. Uh, but some of it's already up on YouTube, right. um, and it's the it's the ones where I'm standing in the front of the room talking, which I think have to be the most boring YouTube videos I've ever made. But some people love it. So, uh, but I think what's more important is is like do a do a review of that because that is eight, nine, and ten. Yeah, that's that's the stuff that where we want to be going, right. as opposed to talking about how you know these shows we keep seeing just seem kind of like. I don't know. It, 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 it's like we're we're it's like we're in college and they're in the second grade. Well, maybe the good news is there's so many of these types of films because that market is there right now. That that could be a good good market indicator. That's true. That is good. It's an improvement. Yes, yeah. it is good. That's, yeah, that's true. That people want to see movies about uh, more sustainable food. Um, that's I listened to a podcast with Elliot Coleman and he seem to think that the local food movement has come along in five years, uh, you know, has try, has grown as much in five years or whatever, the way he put it, as the organic food movement did over 40 years. So there's something about, you know, recently people being interested in local food that is just huge. So and 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 that's something these movies are kind of tagging on to, and it's a little different than the beyond organic stuff, but it's uh, but it's something that could be piggybacked on. Well, and if a person is listening to a podcast, then a person you know could probably listen to a book on tape. And I know that I've listened to two of Pollen's books as a book on CD. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> so there's a way to work it into your pod contraption there, but um, uh, it was in defense of food, and the omnivore's dilemma. Right. And I find that when I'm out talking, and and you know what, the reason why I listen to the omnivore's dilemma is I had probably more than thirty people ask me what I thought of the book, <laughs> and, and then I finally thought, you know what, I better go actually read the damn thing, and I was just so busy. I, I I carried the book around with me for like a year, and I think I got like you know half a chapter into it or something. And it's all beat up and tattered from carrying it around with me, trying to find time to read a little bit more. And it was the and then it was uh, I finished reading it when Sepp Holzer was here in the United States, and I had to drive around to all the different things he was at, and then I had it on uh, as a book on CD, yeah. and then I finally got to finish it that way, driving around listening to Paul and stuff. So and then I did the same, a similar kind of thing with the uh, the in defense of food, and um, while there were bits and bobs of each of those books that I didn't particularly agree with, I do feel that you know overall both books were big winners, and made some really excellent points in a very poetic way. I mean I think the the approach to vegetarianism and veganism is very good. I thought the whole thing about, you know, nutritionism and how we don't know yet. Um, I mean, I've been going on about that for years, and so maybe <clears throat> I'm going to pretend great minds think alike or whatever. Pollen will probably disavow that. But uh, um, actually, Pollen won't disavow that because he has no idea that I exist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm an insignificant speck. 
<laughs> so, um, yeah, maybe one day we'll be in the same grocery store, and then he'll see that I'm not an insignificant. I am giant. <laughs> so, uh, um, uh, I thought it was really well done. Really well done. Um, I want to scratch his name off of the front of the book and put my name there and pretend I wrote it. Um, flaws and all. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's really hard to argue with much of what Paulin says. He just he's done a he's done a pretty good job there. Yeah. I mean, there was there's a few bits and bobs where I didn't agree, but for the most part, he's done a really excellent job. And I and which you know almost every book I've ever read has problems, but I I, I really uh, he's he's uh, done very well, very yep. good. Yeah. Um, and so I. Yeah, well, the, the In Defense of Food book really brings up some things that I think are really important, that are really good. Uh-huh. Um, yep. But I think people should eat more fat <laughs> than what he proposes in that book. Well, he does talk about the different fat, you know, how different the fat is on grass-raised. Oh, yeah. Pasture. Yeah, he talks about he a lot of that stuff. That. And then right. in the end, he kind of makes some recommendations on how he feels people should eat. And I, I just, I don't agree. Of course, he's a thin guy, and I'm a fat guy, so <laughs> maybe he's right uh-huh. and I'm wrong. But I, I still, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with my wrongness if that's the case. Right. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I, I think you know we've talked plenty about food and fresh the movie. Yeah, I think um, it's probably a. It looked to me like it's it's as good as um, the other ones that we've seen that have been up there, like Food Inc. Um, and so, um, in a way, I thought this was better because it did have more sustainable examples. I mean, Pollen was in Food Inc., but I don't. It's been long enough since I watched that. I don't remember that they had very many sustainable farming examples. Right. So maybe this one's the best one of the bunch. Not sure. We'd have to like do a side by side comparison. Uh, yeah, but I don't want to watch them again. I don't want to watch them again either. <laughs> so this one could possibly be the best. Uh, you know, our our uh, yeah. It's we, a more current. Our I think it's a more current one. You know, yeah. um, a broken a broken limbs was really good. I uh, finally. We talked about that one, and yeah, but that's one I think is good for farmers, uh-huh. which is our, which is our peeps, our crew, our, our folks. But you know, I think that this is for consumers. True. And and uh, as so as uh, you know, it's a difference. Yeah, the food the food ink is also for consumers. So um, I think if you're going to pick one that's for consumers, then you're going to go with Vanishing of the Bees. <laughs> I, I thought that was a good one. I like the yeah, the yeah, that was good. So, um, <clears throat> if you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about way beyond organic stuff, homesteading, and permaculture all the time.